Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today for episode 199, I'm speaking with Thomas Verklin and Ghost43 of the Electrum Wallet project. So for those of you who don't know, Electrum Wallet is one of the longest standing Bitcoin wallets. It's well known for supporting hardware wallets, multi-signature and lightning. So we get into a lot of these details. And for some listeners, if you're a little bit newer, you might also want to go back and check out my earlier episode with Thomas, episode 125. This show brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. You already know Swan is the best place to auto stack your Bitcoin in the US with low fees and easy setup. Just connect your bank account, set the amount and frequency of your buys and rest easy as Swan automatically buys your Bitcoin. Use the link swanbitcoin.com slash Levera. Swan is also making a splash on the Bitcoin content scene with Swan Signal, pairing up great Bitcoiners for unique and compelling discussions. They're broadcasting live every Wednesday on Twitter and YouTube, and it's also an audio podcast. So some recent shows include Samson Mao with Parker Lewis, Lynn Alden with Jeff Booth. There's a lot of shows in the archives, so go and check them out. They've got a YouTube channel, and the audio podcast for that is swansignalpodcast.com. Next is Unchained Capital, Bitcoin Native Financial Services. So if we are entering a bull market and you're starting to think about the security of your coins, you need to start thinking about whether you have an appropriate level for the number of coins or amount of coins that you have. So look up the Vault product that Unchained Capital offer. And if you need a hand, well, they've got the Vault Concierge onboarding package. So you can select the package, whether you need some hardware wallet devices to be mailed out to you. The concierge team will walk you through the setup and provide guidance, and you can build that vault together using a two of three setup to improve your security. Also, if you need a loan, Unchained Capital offer that. So you can put up some Bitcoin and get USD without selling your Bitcoin. So there may be some tax advantages for you there. Unchained are really impressive. They've got incredible content. They've got so many great blog posts as well so it's a great resource for you to send to people as well so go and learn more at unchained-capital.com thomas and ghost 43 welcome back to the show hi thank you yeah hey stefan thanks for having me yeah so welcome to the show guys uh now thomas i know uh my listeners have already heard you on the prior episode but ghost did you want to tell us a little bit about yourself how you got into bitcoin and how you got into developing with electrum wallet yeah sure um i mean i got into bitcoin a few years ago because i had some personal bad experiences with the traditional financial system i guess you could say uh and then i mean first i only started using bitcoin for for doing a couple donations but then I found Electrum and I set up a cold storage and I'm full on using Bitcoin since then. Um, I've started contributing to Electrum, I guess, almost three years ago now. Um, At that point, I had been using Electrum for a year or so already, I think. But um, that summer, near the end of uh, the summer 2017, I had a lot of free time and... uh, I decided I would fix a few bugs that had been nagging me. Um, I mean, that I've experienced as a, as a user. And uh, first, I've only been fixing a few things in my free time, but then I spent more and more time on it. And then it became a full-time job, basically. I mean, quite literally, as Thomas offered me a job back then. So since then, I've been working for Electrum Technologies and I get paid to work on stuff that I love and would use anyway. So, yeah. That's great. And so uh, today we're going to chat a little bit more in detail about Electrum Wallet 4, which is the new release. Uh, So 
Thomas, did you want to just tell us a little bit? I mean, our last interview was, I think, towards the end of last year. Uh, and so there, there was a bit of a gap between versions 3.38 and version 4. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sure. Um, just to, to bounce back on what Ghost said. So if you, if you want to work for Electrum, if you want to, to have a job, uh, it's a very good idea to start by uh, submitting pull requests. And then uh, from uh, from there on, uh, you might actually end up uh, being a full-time developer. Yeah, that, that's my my uh, two cents. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> why was was there such a big gap? Um, yeah, last time we we talked about it on your podcast, I mentioned that uh, we just merged the, the the Lightning branch into Master. And at that point, um, so it, it means that we had code that was already fairly stable. And, uh, but merging it into master triggered a lot of code reorganization because uh, there are things that you cannot do when you, when you work on two branches. And you, you, you can only start doing them once you have the thing on the same branch. Uh, so uh, since it's a big, big uh, change, uh, we we did uh, a lot of things that have to do with the code architecture and uh, how things interact uh, that couldn't be done before we were working on a separate branch. Um, another thing is, of course, that uh, we had to test a lot of... Uh, edge cases, as uh, people know, with Lightning, uh, the, the difficulty is not the, the happy path, the happy execution path of things, it's when things go wrong. So this, uh, this involves a lot of testing. And along the way, we added even more features that uh, we were not planning in the first place. So this is also one of the reasons why it took so much time. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, new features that came in. So obviously, Lightning is the main; it's probably the big thing. So, can you tell us a little bit about how that came into Electrum? What were your experiences there? What were some of the hurdles, uh, or what were some of the things that were difficult with putting Lightning into Electrum? Oh yeah, sure. But uh, when I say new features, I'm, I mean uh, along Lightning, uh, we uh, we added uh, things such as a watchtower or uh, submarine swaps that were not planned initially, but uh, that that are nice to have too. Yeah, I mean, Lightning is a meta feature. It's like, there's a reason we've been working on it for like two years or something. Yeah, it's been a very long thing, a long process. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the process then of setting it up. So I, I had to play around with uh, Lightning on Electrum just you know just to test it out. Obviously, um, so I spent I you know spun up a test wallet, put some a small amount of Sats in there, and then I noticed you've got that additional. It's like that additional tab there with the channels, and so you go into I think wallet information, and then you enable Lightning on that wallet, and then uh, you can start. Uh, the lightning part of it. So I, I noticed you when you go to open a channel, there's also a little suggest uh, box there where it suggests a node to open the channel with. So can you tell us a little bit about that feature and how that suggestion works? 
Or, uh, in terms of GUI, things are not really uh, finished or set in stone. Um, I think uh, what you said about how, how Lightning is enabled, for example, uh, the feedback we have received from users shows or suggests that it might be a bit confusing because users do not uh, expect to have to visit that uh, dialogue in order to enable Lightning. Um, so I'm thinking that we might actually uh, move that button uh, into the, the channels tab. Uh, so um, yeah, the, the, the user interface is really, uh, that's our first iteration. So uh, we, are, we are going to, to change a few things there. Yeah, I mean, specifically about the wallet information dialogue thing to, to enable Lightning, we made the decision as a temporary thing, as far as I recall, that, uh, I mean, we wanted to make it a bit more hidden. We didn't want too many users to enable Lightning at the same yeah. time, as soon as we release, and then have more bug reports than we can handle. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's another part of it. That's also the reason why we have not yet enabled the notification that there is a new version available, although I'm planning to do it in the, in the coming days. But uh, that's because I was uh, also away from, uh, from my computer. So uh, at the moment, we want to slow things down because we, we receive more bug, bug reports than we can handle. So what was some of the early feedback on the new version of Electrum? Some users were confused and are still confused about the... I'm not talking about Lightning here. I'm talking about the, the way uh, you, can, you, you have to do now coin selection. But it has to do with Lightning because uh, we wanted uh, coin selection to be uh, more generic, to be uh, usable with uh, not just uh, on-chain transactions, but also... Um, when you open a channel or when you do a submarine swap, you want to be able to uh, to select the coins in any context. So, so uh, Ghost had this idea that I find really nice to to have this uh, this coin selection uh, visible from uh, all the tabs, and uh, so so that means that you have to do it in two steps. But uh, it's much more powerful because. Uh, so yeah, that, that's one thing. Another thing is, um, of course, uh, in the send and receive tabs, uh, now we handle both uh, on-chain and lightning transactions. That means that uh, requests are abstracted away from, uh, from whether they are on-chain or, or, or lightning. And the fee, uh, the on-chain fee uh, is uh, decided after. Uh, so these are the new the, the things that uh, have confused some users. Yeah, that makes a bit of sense. So essentially, when we are kind of switching between doing a Bitcoin on-chain transaction, and we're thinking in terms of sats per byte, and then we're switching context now to doing a Lightning transaction, well, it's different uh, different way it operates there. Um, and so I also noticed that. Yeah, as you mentioned, that there's a few different little dialogues and things. So you've got like watchtowers and swaps aspects. Uh, perhaps let's talk about the swaps component. So I had a look in the dialogue and it looks like that's going through Bolt's exchange. So can you tell us a little bit about how the submarine swaps feature works there? 
Yeah, sure. It is not going through Balls Exchange. Uh, it's a node that uh, we are operating using the Balls software. Uh, oh, I see. So gotcha. that's not exactly the same. Um, it's also a new a new business uh, model for us because we are collecting the fees there. So we hope that uh, it's going in the future to develop as a as a new source of income. Um, but uh, yeah, if you are familiar with the Balls Exchange, the the UI is uh, is very close. Uh, what we have done is uh, we give a bit more freedom to the user in terms of selecting the fee. Uh, uh, what I mean, you cannot do that on, on the on the website of Bolts. So it's a double-edged sword because we give more power to the user, but it also implies that they can actually shoot themselves in the foot maybe more easily. But in the end, it's not so dangerous because uh, I mean, if the if the if the transaction never gets mined, then uh, you can um, yeah you can cancel the, the the whole thing. So let's just back up one step there. So in terms of the submarine swap, could you just tell us what direction and what context it would work in? So let's say I've just funded my wallet. Is the idea that I would um, I can create a channel and then I can push some of that balance? out of the lightning channel, receive it back on chain, and then now I've got more incoming capacity. Is that the idea? Yeah, that is the main use case. We have this issue that uh, if you're a merchant and you want to receive lightning funds, uh, you do not necessarily have a, a channel with incoming capacity. And uh, initially, I think we, we thought about uh, creating a server that allows a little bit like a bit refill, you know, the, the, that, uh, I mean, they open a channel to you, for you, and that's a service they charge for. Um, so we we thought about that, and and then I, I, I found about this uh, Bolts uh, exchange software that is really nice and easy to use, and it allows to do so much more things than, than just a, a service that opens a channel. For the user, it's actually better to, to have those swaps because... Uh, so, yeah, okay, this this submarine swap is also known as a loop in, loop out, in, in, if, you, if you use the terminology of, um, of Lightning Labs. They, they also have the same service uh, with a different name, um, but we call them swaps. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting lost. I forgot the beginning of your question. You. Oh yes, yeah, so I was just clarifying which direction it was in. So in this case, it's kind of like a. Your, your, it's both. You, you, you just set up your channel. Oh, you can go both you, ways. You can go both ways. Um, so if you if you open the the swap dialog, uh, you can actually uh, click on the lightning icon, and it will swap uh, the lightning and Bitcoin icons. So you can either send uh, on chain or you can send lightning. Yeah, you can also switch in the same way on, on the on the Bolts website. Actually, a quick example might be: let's say you are a merchant, you're taking a lot of payments, and then over time, those channels, all the balance is now sitting on your local side, and now you need to push it back out, and that's where you might use that swap. Yeah, exactly. That that allows you to keep receiving uh, on the same channel. Uh, and uh, that's uh, that's very good because the the customers that have found the path to you are likely to find the same path again in the future. So if that channel gets exhausted, you you probably want to to rebalance it. Yeah. 
Um, and now in terms of opening channels, so let's say I open up my Electrum, I fund it with some Bitcoin, I try to open a channel. Um, I was having a little bit of issues trying to manually open the channels to some of my own uh, Bitcoin nodes. I, I was able to do it through a suggested one. So is there any difference there in terms of using the URI to pick which node? Or I think the box currently says alias. Can you outline a little bit around that? Which box says alias? Sorry. Uh, the box- when you open a channel and then you have to paste in the like the pub key of the other person who you want to open the channel with. Yeah, so you can paste a remote node ID and uh, or a connection string. It's the, the node ID plus the IP address and the port. Yeah. Uh, if you... If the if the node is already in your database, uh, then uh, you don't need the the full connection string. But uh, sometimes it's not going to be the case, so that's why there are connection strings. Um, and the, the suggestion, the the suggest button, uh, will give you a node uh, that you are already connected with. Uh, so we know that this node is online. Yeah, I mean, the, the suggest button is very naive at the moment. We are going to change it probably in the future. But at the moment, it just gives you one of the nodes you already have a transport connection established with. Let's talk a little bit about the watchtowers. So I guess for people who might have used another lightning uh, wallet or lightning daemon, let's say, they're, they're used to the... I guess that demon monitoring the chain to check for if somebody's trying to cheat you, etc. Can you outline a little bit about how the Electrum watchtowers work? And I, I see you've got two different models there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me first uh, say, okay, we, we, we developed this because I was uh, thinking about the, the, the watchtower as a business model for us. And uh, so this, uh, the idea was that we were going to, to have uh, Watchtower as a service for, for, for our users. But uh, I backed up because uh, the, the disk requirements uh, in the current model are, are too large. So currently the, the, the Watchtower implementation that we have is, uh, is uh, I mean, it's okay for your own personal use, but we did not implement a, a user authentication system that would uh, allow you to to uh, have a watchtower with uh, many many users. So, regarding, uh, yeah, you were asking about the different models, uh, and that's precisely the the question. Um, so you have a, you have a, there is this idea that you could incentivize the, the watchtower by giving them a share of the justice transaction and and you would not need uh, to pay them uh, other than that that was uh, one of the early ideas around watchtowers i don't know if uh, anyone has ever actually implemented that kind of watchtower because uh, obviously you have uh, you don't have uh, good guarantees if you if you use this type of watchtower because uh, the the watchtower so you have you have strong anonymity the watchtower doesn't need to know anything about you um, but you don't have um, the guarantee that they will keep watching your channel uh, forever or for the for the life cycle of your channel 
so my uh, suggestion was to have a, a watchtower that knows you about your a few a few more things about your identity so that it can uh, so it knows about your your channels and uh, so, so so that you can at least trash the data when the channel is closed and then you 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 can uh, you can save some some disk space and so the the idea was to have uh, a watchtower that would charge not it would not charge you for the justice transaction, but it would charge you for, for the action of watching. So you would need to have a subscription for that kind of, of service. Uh, but like I said, uh, we did not uh, develop this fully into a commercial service. So uh, the code is open source. Someone else can actually use it to do that if they want. Uh, but at the moment, uh, we decided that uh, we are not going to, to offer this as a service. So the, the Watchtower code is uh, useful if you run your own private Watchtower. And uh, you can do this, uh, for example, if you have a, a machine that is always online, but you don't want to have private keys on that machine. Uh, typically, uh, if you have your your own private Electrum server, you could, it makes sense to also have a Watchtower on that machine. Yeah, I mean, regarding the question of uh, there being two different Watchtower models, I guess in the in the current code, what? Well, okay, so so there's the local and the remote Watchtower options, and um, the remote Watchtower is what I guess uh, a power user, when told about Watchtowers without compensation, would think about. Um, I mean, that's that's the remote Watchtower. So if you have multiple computers, for example, I mean, let, let's say you have a server or or an always online desktop machine back at home. Uh, then you could use the remote watchtower such that uh, you run Electrum uh, with the watchtower options configured um, always online or almost always online on that machine. And then uh, your other client sets uh, as a remote watchtower um, to connect to your home machine. Uh, and the other option, the local watchtower, is such that... Um, well, I guess it's kind of specific to Electrum in that um, in Electrum, you can have multiple wallets. Um, and I'm not sure whether this is actually true about any of the other current Lightning wallets. So, I mean, if you open multi, if you create multiple wallets in Electrum, you can even open them at the same time simultaneously. And uh, enabling or disabling Lightning is... is uh, independent uh, among the wallets so so you can enable lightning for i don't know two of your out of five of your wallets or whatever and you can even open them at the same time and then they will spin up independent lightning nodes with separate ids and their own channels um and so this introduces a complication or uh, well i guess several but uh, from the point of view of the watchtower um i mean without a watchtower if you if you have lightning enabled in one of your electron wallets but uh, you don't have that electron wallet open because let's say um i don't know you've created another one for your work funds or whatever and you only have that one open and you're using that one to do a few transactions then in case you let's say your counterparty cheated and breached uh, one of your channels for your other electron wallet then you wouldn't notice because I mean that's that's a completely independent wallet. It's it's a separate Lightning node, 
And uh, to to check for that, I mean, naively, you might even think that you might want uh, private keys, let's say. But in any case, you have to have some kind of information and, and you have to have that wallet decrypted. But anyway, so the, the point is that if you enable a local watchtower uh, with uh, Electrum, then we will save some uh, information that doesn't include private keys on your local disk, such that uh, if any wallet file is open with Electrum, if Electrum itself is running independent of what you are doing, then it will watch all of your wallets at the same time. Gotcha. Yes. And so let's say the user, oh, sorry, go on, Thomas. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I just wanted to make things, one thing clear. I mean, it might not be obvious, but if you run a watchtower, you don't need to run a lightning node for that. A watchtower is simply a uh, daemon that uh, watches the blockchain, and if uh, UTXO is spent, then it broadcasts a transaction. So uh, when you run a watchtower, uh, it's completely independent from running a lightning node. And so in this example, let's say the user is just running Electrum Wallet on their laptop PC and, you know, they open up some channels and then later, you know, they close their laptop for the day. And I, I guess as I understand you, then it means, you know, let's say they've gone to sleep and they only open their laptop again when they wake up in the morning. And I guess at that point, then the watchtower, the local watchtower in that example, on the laptop running on that Electrum wallet would then pick up, oh, okay, there's been a transaction on the chain. I need to broadcast the justice transaction. Is that is that how it would work there or where am I getting it wrong there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the point of, of running a local watchtower is that uh, you don't need to have the the wallet file uh, decrypted. I guess that's, that's the most simplistic use case because, I mean, you might have everything decrypted, the whole file, and uh, you need to enter your password to, to open it, right? And, and you might have multiple wallets and without some kind of architecture such as this uh, local watchtower, you would need to decrypt all of your wallets and, and uh, have all of those checked for breaches. But uh, with the local watchtower, it's enough to just start the application and don't care about that. You don't need to open all of your wallets. Because otherwise, yeah, you might have to sit there doing the five different passwords for your five different wallets. Yeah, and exactly. then it just, yeah, it becomes a bit of a, <laughs> right. You can even have the application run in the background without any wallet open if you, I mean, there is a GUI preference for that. So in that case, the watchtower will be active. Yeah. And so I suppose for users who are running uh, uh, an always on node, it might make sense for, let's say, the, the package node in a box. So, you know, things like my node and noddle and so on, um, Raspberry Blitz, if they package in uh, an Electrum server, it might make sense for them to also package in the watchtower, the external watchtower. And then so that way it just kind of it's always running there. Yeah, absolutely around lightning as well so obviously with lightning because the channels yeah the just the importance of doing backups can you can you talk to us a little bit about the use of static channel backups for electrum lightning okay so the the, the backups that we have uh, do not allow you to restore the channel that's uh, i think that's also the the, the same uh, with uh, with lnd and uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, the only thing you can do with that kind of backup is uh, is to to have the channel uh, closed. Um, so it should not be confused. Uh, I mean, uh, the, 
yeah, the, the, there should be a different word uh, than backup, but uh, I don't have one. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, the, the, the main, the main uh, point here is that uh, if, you, if you have a lightning channel, uh, the funds in your lightning channel cannot be recovered from, from your seed words. So uh, in case you lose your device or you, you have an accident, uh, you probably want to have a backup of your channels. Uh, now, um, currently, we use a static remote key and the, the static remote key that we use is actually one of the, the public keys of your wallet. That's a feature that uh, might not stay in the future because uh, it won't be possible anymore soon uh, because of some changes in the, in the Lightning protocol. Uh, but that means that currently uh, you have this extra comfort that if the remote party uh, force closes the channel, then your funds will land on your wallet uh, whether you have made a backup or not. Uh, so uh, you could argue that the backup currently is not very useful, but it will probably be more important in the future if this feature is, uh, is removed. Uh, and just speaking about Lightning implementations more generally, as uh, you know, Thomas, I know we spoke about this uh, the first interview. Uh, can you tell us a little bit around your efforts around doing uh, your own Lightning implementation? Has that been difficult for you? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Maybe, Ghost, you want to talk about that? Okay. Uh, so, originally, we didn't actually want to do our own implementation. Um, and um, we had another developer, uh, Y. Sankok, uh, Janus, uh, who, who experimented with, with another model. Um, and we even researched... I mean, we obviously, we researched other existing implementations and... and took a look uh, whether we could somehow just package them up and and uh, write some um, API to to use those but uh, in the end as amusing as it might sound it turned out to be easier to write our own uh, maybe maybe it wouldn't be the case today uh, with trust lightning which was written with with uh, basically this use case in mind of packaging it into an existing wallet. But back then, Rust Lightning didn't exist, so we decided to write our own uh, implementation. And uh, I mean, the main advantage uh, for us is that because it is written in Python and because we are the ones maintaining it, although that obviously also entails burdens, um, we can experiment freely with it and uh, implement stuff that that is not part of the protocol yet um, experimental features uh, that um, well i mean it allows us more freedom um, so for example we could come up with um, features such as in um, uh, what async is doing uh, with phoenix um, uh, with the uh, experimental TLV uh, type length value extensions. Um, and also the trampoline routing. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, we, we have more freedom to, to experiment and to, to impl implement our own features. And also, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot more motivating than having to adapt to a moving target, uh, as in another implementation that changes its API every time. 
Yeah, but uh, I mean, to be honest, originally when we had started uh, with this approach, which was, I think, maybe in April 2018 or something, uh, we didn't think it would take this much time. Um, I mean, originally we thought that we might have some prototype that works for the happy path in like two weeks. But that was overly optimistic. <laughs> um, yeah, even even for for something that worked uh, somewhat reliably for the happy path, it took like two or three months, I think. And then I don't know. After maybe a year, we had something that that worked okay, but it was almost trivial to to trigger bugs that that resulted in critical issues so that's why it took more than two years in the end it, it's a lot of work to to implement lightning from scratch it's yeah you, you don't want to do it unless you really have the resources and uh, you can commit to it you touched on um rust lightning and i presume you're also referring there to ldk by the square crypto team as well right yeah i guess that's the new name for it but uh, but uh, even originally when when Bluemat started rust lightning he said that well okay or maybe maybe at the very beginning he said that he wanted to just experiment with lightning uh but uh after a few months he said that he wants to write something that can be integrated into existing wallets and uh i mean that's been the narrative ever since as far as i'm up to date with it uh and uh, i mean that's exactly the use case actually that we would have needed except it didn't exist at the time. <laughs> right, and it would just be too difficult now to change back, right? Well, yeah, it would be a lot of work, I think. Uh, but but to be honest, I mean, even still, we are more comfortable with, with Python codes uh, and, and we can freely change anything and, and we are deeply intimate with how the code works that we wrote now. So I, I guess at this point, it's not worth even trying to change it. But I think Lightning is so important that then uh, uh, at some point, someone would have started to write a Python implementation of Lightning if if we didn't. So uh, because because uh, it's it's also about the language. I mean, people are familiar with the programming language. Also, wanted to chat a little bit about the user experience. So when the user is starting up Electrum for the first time, there's been some discussion there about people who are more privacy conscious that they would want to maybe get prompted in terms of connecting whether that's to their own server or whether to a public server. Do you have any thoughts on that and whether anything could be done there around the user experience for the more privacy conscious? Oh, yeah, there is a difference between the, the Android app and the desktop. The desktop app allows you to to, to do what you just said. Uh, and we have uh, had the same, the, the request to, to, to have the same uh, option on the Kiwi application. Uh, which doesn't have it at the moment. Yeah, so you, you can already do this on, on Qt on desktop, but not on Android, yeah. I see. So this is like you open it up and then in the bottom right, you click the um, the connection, like the red green red light or green light. And then, so we're referring here to the first time setup of Electrum World, yeah, right? yeah, the it, first time use. Yes, it is a special case basically in what we call the install wizard. So, I mean, if you start Electrum and you don't have a wallet or, or even if you do have a wallet, but uh, it's encrypted and it's, tries to uh, open that. Uh, the wizard will open to, to allow creating new wallets or entering your password for your existing um, encrypted wallets. And we have logic to detect that it is the first time you, you start the wizard. Uh, so, I mean, 
that means it's, a f it's the first time you start the application itself. And, and if so, uh, there's an extra dialogue at the beginning, which is basically the same as the network dialogue uh, users might be familiar with uh, as part of the main application when you already have a wallet open. And uh, you can just configure to only connect to one server or connect to your own server or, well, any combination of that. Um, and also any thoughts around whether that could be made easier for some users who maybe they're not as comfortable with uh, command line or doing manual configuration? Is there anything there that you think you would you, you might be able to add into the user interface there so that the, the GUI-only user can, can achieve a similar level of privacy there, like, say, one server option? Well, I mean, I think if... If you're talking about the desktop application, and again, um, we have plans to to make the Android application up to par to to implement the same uh, with Android. But on desktop, I think actually even in the GUI, this is already possible. Uh, although maybe I guess it's not that well known, but but. Um, I mean, there's a prompt when you open Electrum uh, for the first time, and you and you can set this up even one server mode. Um, oh wait, okay, maybe not one server mode, but but uh, definitely connecting to your own server. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's what I was referring to. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can select your own server, but I think there's that thing where it shows you like how many other nodes or how many other servers you could connect to, and I guess maybe you feel more paranoid and you only want to connect to one. Um, your own one or something like that. Uh, one one thing I don't want uh, I want to say is that I don't want to promote too much the the one server option because it's actually uh, a, uh, a reduction of your security. If uh, if you don't use it with your own node and you use it with a with a, an external server that is not yours, uh, the one server option uh, makes SPV ineffective. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah. Well, okay. I mean, you're you're talking about the scenario where that single server operator is also a minor, right? Yeah, yeah. The I mean, it kind of uh, the, for SPV to work, you, you need to to connect to multiple nodes, not to, not just a single one. Well, okay. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but. Um, Maybe that's not the best way of saying it. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think SPV works even if you only connect to a single node, except um, you have to be more careful than which, I mean, only a power user would would know to do, such as you would have to actually check uh, whether you have the expected number of blocks and stuff like that. Because, I mean, okay, so, so like one possible attack vector is that you connect to a single server uh, with one server mode, which is not actually yours, which is, I mean, it's easy. It would be easy to do if if everything was exposed in the GUI. Um, and then let's say the operator of the server even uh, is either a miner themselves or collaborates with a miner, and let's say they have like 10% of the hash rate or something, and then they could uh, trick you with a transaction and and have one or two confirmations, I mean, mine actual blocks for that transaction, and then all the SPV checks would pass. I mean, even full node checks might pass, right? But but the point is that uh, this branch of the chain would be weaker, would be shorter than the, the, the main, the best chain, but you wouldn't know about the best chain because you're only connected to one node. Yeah, so I was thinking more just in the context of, let's say the user already has their own, you know, Electrum server running and it's in that in that context, but certainly for the uh, the light 
wallet user, uh, the one who's not using their own Electrum server, then uh, that that makes sense to me. Let's chat a little bit about uh, hardware wallet support as well. So uh, there was that recent thing about the Trezor, um, the, I think they locked it down to certain derivation paths. Did that impact you guys? Certain derivation paths? Um... Do you mean the the BIP one four three the the Segwit signing? Thing? Yes, that one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yes, it impacted us in the sense that uh, it was another factor actually to to speed up doing a release, uh, doing uh, I mean releasing four point zero because um, they to, to fix that vulnerability they had to basically disallow. I mean, they, they had to do a breaking change in their internal protocol such that uh, the existing latest version of Electrum back then, for example, wouldn't be able to to sign transactions with the Trezor. So yes, it impacted us in that sense. And in terms of maintaining support with any of the other hardware wallets, uh, has that has any of that other, uh, that been a challenge for you or that has just been not such a big deal? Yeah, I mean... Our current model for hardware wallet support doesn't really scale, I would have to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, uh, I mean, uh, in practice, hardware wallet manufacturers uh, send a pull request. Um, they, they write the initial code. And uh, we also ask to have uh, actual devices sent to us so that we can test it. Uh, but then it's only one of it's only some of the larger manufacturers who actually help us maintain that code at all. Uh, the, the smaller ones, basically, after the initial pull request, don't do anything. And uh, <laughs> so that means every time we change something in the code, uh, even a minor refactor, let's say, then we have to obviously change that their plugin as well, which is fine. But then... Uh, to to properly do that, we have to test with the actual device because it's it's really it would be extremely difficult to set up automated tests that uh, that would catch everything. So so we have to test with the actual device, and then we have to test with like ten devices at this point, I think. So yeah, and and uh, we actually keep getting uh, requests to to have more and more hardware wallets added. Um, so yeah, we will have to figure something out, but, but I have to say that, um, at least Trezor and, uh, digital Bitbox 2, or I mean, Bitbox 2, they, they keep, uh, sending pull requests to, to significantly lesser the, the burden of maintenance for us. So they basically maintain their own plugins. So that's very nice. But, um, yeah, not everyone does it. Yeah. All right. So other hardware wallet manufacturers pick up your game, hey? So I mean, I'm very much looking forward to the the to a hard uh, a unified hardware wallet interface. Uh, I think that uh, that will be a progress, but also uh, it might not align with the interest of private companies because they want their product to have more features than the competition. So I don't know if that will ever be a reality. 
Well, I mean, the, there's the, the Bitcoin Core project, the HWI uh, at this point, which is kind of similar. So, so at this point, I don't think any further unification would happen because that took away all the incentives. But uh, so, I mean, one question is whether maybe we could use HWI for Electrum, but... Um, no, my my point is whether whether hardware wallet manufacturers are going to to fully embrace this and comply with this. Well, I mean, I think the whole point of HWI is is embracing the reality that 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 won't happen. And uh, Andrew Child just decided to to write an abstraction layer himself. So I think realistically, the question for us is whether we could use HWI. But um, yeah, I mean, last time I looked at it, I, I'm not so sure that uh, it would be good for us. Mainly because, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it is written with, with a, a CLI use case in mind. And so I guess then, does that mean you might have to eventually start rationalizing the hardware, the supported hardware wallets down to just the big ones that you want to maintain support? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... Don't know about that. Yeah, but, I think uh, we might have to do that at some point, but uh, it depends on the burden that we have maintaining a, a, a plugin. Also wanted to chat a little bit about multi-signature. So Electrum is well known as one of the ways that uh, if an individual wants to set up their own multi-signature, well, this this is one of the ways to do that. Uh, and it's got the wizard there, so users can... Um, you know, pull together different hardware wallets and put them together. And I think even in this recent version, it's now possible to do, um, I think there was, I think that previously there were some difficulties doing like different hardware wallets together, but I think this new version actually does allow it. Um, I think with cold cards, so like for example, if you wanted to do like a cold card and a ledger and a trezor in a two of three, something like that. Um, I think this new version um, allows for that. Um, just also wanted to just discuss um, for users who are thinking about doing that, what are some of the things they need to think about in terms of backups? What should they be keeping if they want to do that kind of setup? Well, I mean, okay, so first I have to say that, um, I mean, even before, um, since like, I'm not sure, Electrum 2.8 or something, I think that uh, multi-sig with multiple hardware signers involved already has been working uh, the, the change in version yeah the, the change in version 4 is that um, cold card because of using PSBT and the intricacies of PSBT itself um, it didn't work well I mean there was a very involved workaround but let, let's just say that cold card didn't work uh, as part of a multisig before now it works, but actually, even right now, it's not really ideal. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure a, a, a complete newbie could set it up uh, because, um, well, okay. I mean, it it works now kind of easily if you if you are willing to connect the cold card via USB to the to the computer. But but if you want to use it, well, cold, then uh, it's still a bit involved because um, the issue is that. Um, Xpubs are no longer sufficient to to set up uh, a signer. Now you also need um, a derivation prefix. I mean, uh, the the beginning part of the derivation path, and also um, a root fingerprint. Uh, so I mean, the, the issue is that 
an expo is no longer enough to to describe fully a cosigner as part of a multisig, and this used to be the case in the past. So they, basically, we would need to come up with a new format, which could hopefully become standardized to to contain this extra information in addition to the XPub, and then. Uh, it would once again become easy to to do all kinds of multisig, or and in the future maybe even more complex wallets. Yeah, there there is already uh, also the, the the issue of what we are going to do in the future with uh, script descriptors or mini script. Uh, so it overlaps with the the question that yeah. uh, Ghost just uh, just raised. Yeah, actually, that's what I was going to ask about uh, it, whether you were interested to use that uh, the script descriptors approach uh, and whether that would save you time or whether it wouldn't really save you much work there yeah i mean we are definitely interested in in using output script descriptors uh, i mean not just for this reason uh i'm not sure when we will have the time to get to that but i mean obviously if anyone is interested in in working on that then contributions are welcome and we would we would help in any way we can um Otherwise, it might need a year or whatever. But um, but specifically for this issue, actually, output script descriptors themselves would still not be enough because um, because they are like just not high level enough in the sense that um, I mean the the most simplistic example is that um, if you have a standard wallet, um, then I mean an HD wallet. Then typically, what you would have uh, in almost all the wallets nowadays, uh, well, maybe apart from Bitcoin Core, is um, you would have uh, a, a, a simple depth to tree uh, where, where w- like one branch is used for receiving addresses or, or external addresses, and another branch is used for change addresses or, or internal addresses. Um, and and this would not be uh, hardened; it would be public derivation. Almost all the wallets do this. So like m slash zero slash i is your receiving addresses, and m slash one slash j is your uh, those are your um, change addresses. And um, to to describe uh, your receiving addresses, you would need one output script descriptor with a star. At the end, and uh, to describe your change addresses, you would need another. So the point is, you would need two output script descriptors, not just one. And also, actually, you would need some kind of additional metadata to to signal that you want to use one descriptor for your receiving addresses and the other one for your change addresses. So you would need to put all this information into a string or or some kind of blob that ideally you can copy paste, let's say, um, instead of what we are currently doing with an XPUB. I see. Yeah. So there's a bit more complexity there. And then maybe then we're back to the user having, maybe they have to save some kind of JSON file with all that information in it. And Yeah, uh, exactly. But at that point, that becomes really hard to back up and uh, even not that comfortable to, to, I guess, even copy paste. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of backups, uh, I guess maybe you wanted to talk about this too, but, but, uh, so if you have a multi-seq wallet, um, what you need to backup, uh, is, um, well, okay. So, so ideally you would need multiple backup locations for your multi-seq wallet, right? So I'm talking about the, the scenario where a single user, uh, 
to to reduce risk uh, and um, attack surface, they would they would set up a multisig wallet. Um, contrast that with multiple signers sharing a multisig wallet, right? So a single user uh, could create multiple seeds, let's say, and uh, and distribute the the backup locations uh, physically. Or, or maybe store one seed online and another offline and another at a friend or whatever, and then require two out of those three. Or, or I don't know. I mean, there are endless possibilities almost. But but the point is that um, they would need to store uh, all the XPubs potentially at all the locations, or at least that's the easiest way to do it. Uh, because in the end, when you restore, if you have to use your backups, um, you, you will need all your master public keys uh, involved. And uh, I mean, the corresponding public keys can be derived from, from the seeds, but um, probably you will have only one or two seeds or whatever, and you will need the master public keys for the, for the missing seeds as well, right? So, yeah. so, so with this uh, output script descriptor, or well, even more complicated actually, as I said, uh, multiple script descriptors uh, actually tagged whether they are changed or not and stuff like that. You would need to store those then instead of the xpubs, which which becomes more and more difficult. So I mean. Th- that's not something you can print onto paper because you cannot really expect users to be able to type back some JSON string from paper. Yeah, right, right. So I guess just walking through that example, you're saying, okay, let's just make a quick example to make it clear. So you might be doing a two of three multi-signature. You might want to keep them in you know, three different locations. Uh, and you might think, okay, it's a two of three. And if you lost one of the keys and the wallet file, now you would no longer be able to spend unless you also kept the backup of the XPubs for all three, correct? Yes, and and that's how it always worked. That's how it must work because to be able to reconstruct the the on-chain Bitcoin script, you need all the public keys involved and the, the different public keys are derived from different master public keys. I guess if I'm understanding you correctly there, it could be done then with two separate output descriptors, one for the main, I guess your main receiving addresses and another for all your change addresses. So would that mean then you're keeping two script descriptors in that idea? Yeah, that's one possible thing we could do, yes. But obviously this is, that's, I mean, I'm just discussing theoretical there, but in terms of today, what you do today is basically you have to keep the XPub for each key. And I guess it also helps if you keep the derivation path for each one, right? Well, I mean, it depends on, on what kind of key stores, what kind of individual signers uh, the multisig is comprised of. Because uh, if you're just using Electrum seeds, the kind of seeds that uh, Electrum, the application would, would generate and give you, then... Uh, all the derivation path and script type uh, logic is abstracted away from the user. It's it's encoded basically into the seed itself, so the user doesn't have to know about it. I see. I get you. So it's more if they're using the traditional BIP39 or some hardware wallet, um, then they need to just be mindful of that. And again, it gets too technical for the average user. So well, maybe we will come up with a with a very simple. Uh, mapping between uh, between uh, mini scripts or script descriptors and uh, integers. If we can do that, then we could actually have a seed type that uh, includes the, the the script descriptor in the seed. And so, I guess on this whole question of multi-signature and standards, are, are there are there any other things that could be done to make kind of multi-signature standard? 
standardized across different you know uh, hardware wallets or different uh, wallets is there anything there I guess what we've just been talking about it would be the main thing because um I think there are two two large points here. One is that how you would backup um, and, and correspondingly, of course, restore from that backup, and the other is uh, for your, for your wallet. And the other is um, how you would sign transactions and and transfer uh, unsigned and partial transactions between your different locations. And uh, I think the second point has been by now almost completely solved by by the PSBT. Um, approach BIP 174. The PSBT approach seems to be um, being adopted or at least uh, supported by many different wallet softwares and hardwares around the space. Um, so that's, I guess, yeah, that's the spending part. Um, so I guess it's just the backups and uh, <laughs> the backups part that uh, needs to, needs there needs to be some sort of standard that people kind of form up on. Um, also, you, you mentioned earlier around the seeds part. So uh, Thomas, I know we spoke about this on the earlier episode. We were talking a little bit about, uh, so so currently many hardware wallets are, well, are using BIP39 style mnemonic or BIP39 seeds uh, and Electrum has its own seed style. And I, I suppose just for some users, that could be a little bit confusing because when they're recovering, they are often taught, okay, you only need the first four letters of each word to be able to, um, you know, recover that wallet. Um, but it can be a little confusing if there's like multiple word sets. Um, so I'm wondering whether your thoughts have changed on that, uh, Thomas or Ghost, if you wanted to touch on that as well, the comparison of the different seed types and whether you would go to a BIP39 uh, yeah, style I think seed. we would need to get rid of our old uh, word list, the, the, the initial word list of Electrum. <clears throat> Uh, if if we wanted to have this uh, four letters uh, disambiguation, um, and I don't know if we can do that yet. I mean, maybe we could disable it by default, uh, but for sure some users would be confused. Um, or maybe we can have something a bit smarter. That uh, I mean, the the, the big. The big problem we have is that uh, when BIP39 was published, it's a, it's a standard that had that did collide with the existing Electrum seeds. So because both use English words, so they have words in common, and uh, so the the old Electrum seeds uh, could be in some cases uh, valid BIP39 seeds. Well, yeah, I mean, so you're just talking about the word lists, but uh, the, the word list is just one small part of, of uh, a seed uh, definition, I mean, a scheme. Um, yeah, so, so regarding the word lists, um, there are currently two English Electrum word lists. Uh, the one we had used at the very beginning, uh, which is used by so-called old type seeds for, for Electrum. And... Um, since version two, uh, when the current uh, new seed scheme was introduced for Electrum, um, these these modern Electrum seeds have been using actually the same word list as the BIP39 English word list, and and the current scheme is is independent completely of the word list. So so, to, well yeah. So so technically, to decode a seed. 
uh, you don't even need the word list. Um, the word list is simply used to, to generate uh, seeds that contain English words. But the current uh, Electrum scheme for, for the seeds is, is completely independent of, of any language or words, or it, it just uses Unicode characters. I see. Yeah, uh, yeah, understood um, that the word list is distinct from the actual you know, way by which you turn... Yeah, the idea was to, to not include the word list in the standard and to be able to change it freely later or to, to localize. So that was my initial ambition. And the, the, the big problem we have now is uh, that on Android uh, and also on the desktop, uh, users want to have uh, uh, completion. I mean, they, 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 it's, it's much easier if the, if the word if the word list is uh, is fixed because you can have a smart keyboard that uh, detects the beginning of the word. Yeah, but uh, just to make it absolutely clear, so, I mean, this is in contrast to, to what BIP39 has with, with uh, I mean, actually several word lists, but uh, if you only consider the English word list, it's part of the BIP39 standard. You couldn't just change the word list because, because then, well, specifically, the checksums would not work out. So, I mean... Uh, the word list for BIP39 is is basically set in stone. You cannot change it. But in the case of Electrum, if we wanted to, we could change it at any moment, basically. Yeah, I guess it just kind of comes to that point of with enough new people coming in and if they've already got a BIP39 seed and then they're getting confused about trying to recover that into Electrum, for example. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think that's a separate question, but we can talk about that too. Uh, I mean, I guess... Well, I don't know. You decide, Stefan, whether Thomas should talk, should talk about why we are not using BIP39. Right. Yeah. I think we, we did speak about this in the earlier episode. Okay. Uh, Thomas? No, okay. Maybe uh, to make it clear, uh, I think BIP39 is dangerous uh, because uh, non-technical users uh, will only write down their seed words and nothing else, or, or they, they might even... Uh, give uh, this information to someone else who does not know about uh, which client they were using. Uh, the, the problem is that uh, since there is no version number uh, in BIP39, the, the software is supposed to be smart and to know about the, the derivation uh, for your private keys. And of course, uh, it cannot work that way because uh, new derivations are added over the years all the time. And uh, you cannot expect software to, to work like that uh, unless you are willing to accept uh, to lose Bitcoins. Uh, how to say? I mean, I mean, users... Okay, the whole point of this English word representation is uh, to make it simple for users who do not want a technical description. If users are willing to have a technical description, then why would you use those uh, seed words? I mean, you could just write a string or, or, of hexadecimal, and uh, that would be that would work just as well. Uh, the, the the whole point of those words is to have something simple, something you can write down without a computer, just with a pen and paper, and uh, and you can restore later. And so the restoration process should be unambiguous. It should um, it should not require more technical information such as the derivation path or the, the type of software that you were using and uh, how many, uh, how many uh, derivation chains you are using in your, in your wallet. 
that's uh, it's ridiculous to expect users to know that. Yeah, yeah, I see. There's definitely uh, some valid concerns there on both sides. Uh, and uh, also on the question of rescanning, I saw an interesting, um, I think Luke Childs, who made a contribution around uh, rescanning on all the common or well-known derivation paths. Uh, could you tell oh, yeah, us a little bit about a, that? Uh, something we are going to merge. Uh, we didn't have time yet because we've been really focused on the release. Um, so the idea is uh, to okay. I didn't want to touch BIP thirty nine myself uh, because I think it's a never ending thing for the for for the very reason that uh, BIP thirty nine works with BIP forty three and the, uh, BIP forty three is really the issue. It says that uh, um, the number of uh, potential derivations is unbounded, it can grow indefinitely in the future, so you need to, to perpetually maintain uh, code that will explore the different derivations that have been used uh, by uh, different software wallets um, or hardware wallets. Um, so this pull request uh, uh, is, uh, the goal is to precisely do that, to have a, a, a sort of a comprehensive exploration of uh, of the of the derivation path and uh, yeah I don't know how it's going to be maintained in the future but I'm open of course to to merge it because at least uh, it will uh, make life easier for some users that, that's exactly the whole point that uh, this is only needed because of how bip39 is constructed because the user might not have their their derivation path written down and actually it's not even the derivation path anymore it's also it's also the, the script type. And, and even in the future, it might be other things such as, uh, like I said, I don't know, half an hour earlier that um, nowadays most wallets use this very simple depth to structure of, of one branch, one, one HD branch of, for receiving addresses and another for change. This is also implicit. So with BIP39, like everything is implicit and uh, the user would actually write all this down as part of their backup. So in the future, you could you could conceive that uh, not only do you need to brute force derivation path and script types, also different uh, basically branches of wallets. Um, I mean, structure of addresses arranged. Yeah, gap limit too. Yeah, these are all very good points. I think uh, so. I guess just to summarize, uh, so it's kind of like you might have basically a user might be in a situation where they've got their twelve words or twenty four words but they still don't know exactly how to access their coins because it's kind of like searching for a needle in a haystack, basically, because there's kind of uh, all these different possible combinations of what that wallet might have been set up to use. And that makes it very uh, difficult then to deal with from a wallet standpoint if they're trying to recover into Electrum Wallet, for example. Right, yeah. Oh, also, we should chat a little bit about the Electrum servers. So as I understand, the recent, the Electrum X um, apparently that guy went all BSV, and so now uh, the Electrum team is maintaining Electrum. Yeah, well, X. it was very nice uh, as long as it lasted, because uh, this uh, developer, uh, Qpichon, uh, was maintaining uh, Electrum X for uh, a bunch of uh, different coins, actually. Um, but he's a, a Bitcoin Cash and then Bitcoin SV guy. Um, and uh, now, for some reason, he has decided to drop support for anything else but Bitcoin SV, which he calls the, the real Bitcoin. Um, so, uh, 
so we had to to take over and uh, of course we are familiar with the code because we've been also co-developing this every time we had to do a change in the protocol uh, we we had to add it to Electromix, so uh, it's not a problem for us to to maintain this code. But it was convenient actually to to have him maintain it because he is the author of that code. Uh, I am not the author of Electromix. <clears throat> I I designed uh, the initial Electrom server, which is a different code base, and uh, which was slower. Uh, so now uh, we are going to to maintain. Uh, the, the server code uh, for the for that reason, but that's also uh, I mean in the future we might also um, add new things to the to the protocol. Uh, so uh, I mean I'm very excited about uh, uh, U3XO. Uh, I don't know if you have heard about that. Uh, so this is something I, I have a branch on that repo that uh, that is a preliminary implementation of U3XO. Um, so uh, so if we want to do this kind of things, of course we we need to change the protocol all the time. Yeah, I mean, I really have to say that uh, it, it was great to have Kubechan maintain and and even write Electromax, of course, in the first place because. I mean, hats off to him. He 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 did write really good codes, and uh, it's it's really maintainable. Uh, I mean, of course there are small bugs here or there, but but that's true for any code base. Uh, but uh, nothing can last forever. Now, Kupichan decided that he wants to support Satoshi's vision or whatever. So now we will have to maintain our own fork. Gotcha. Yeah, and as I understand, um, so. Typically, a lot of users, well, in terms of like the packaged nodes, they typically run with Electrum Rust server, whereas I think the people who want to have, who want to be more efficient across lots of wallets, they tend to use Electrum X. Um, and I think there was a recent post by Jameson and the Casa team talking about uh, benchmarking the different Electrum servers. And I think for them, they found Electrum X worked best for them. So, Yeah, I saw that blog post too. It was nice. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to run a public-facing Electrum server uh, serving, well, the public, serving many, many wallets, then I, I still recommend, I mean, you should run Electrum X, I think. Uh, well, you should probably run our own fork now. But um, yeah, um, but if you just want to set up uh, an Electrum server for your own and you don't want to expose it publicly, then you have a whole bunch of options. Um I mean, you can still run Electrum X for that too, but uh, you can also run the Electrum Rust implementation or or uh, Electrum Personal Server by Chris Belcher. Or um, uh, there's another implementation now, I think, um, that's very lightweight too, uh, similar to EPS by by Nadav Ivki Shashek. Oh, uh, BWT, Bitcoin yeah, Wallet yeah, Tracker. One. Yeah. One thing about Electron Personal Server is, the, I mean, last time I checked, at least, uh, you cannot use it with Lightning and it, because uh, uh, Lightning uh, requires your, your Electron Server to be able to watch arbitrary addresses. Yeah, yeah. So there's that further complication. Yeah, but okay. I mean, if you run uh, Electron Rust Server or Electron X, then, then you should be perfectly fine. Uh, and also, uh, yeah, it's interesting as well, just touching on earlier, you mentioned, uh, Thomas, the Utrexo by Tad Stryger. So that might be an interesting idea for people to be able to uh, more easily run something in between. I mean, uh, 
I, I probably won't be able to explain it very well, but basically, I, as I understand, the idea is that you could have this. Um, I forgot the. I can't remember the exact term, but basically people could be running like a full node on a mobile phone sort of thing because it would compress the blockchain. Yeah, well, small, uh, right? yeah, I think maybe he called it the compact nodes. Or... Yeah, you, you can, you can uh, I mean, it has uh, what is called a, a compact node. Um, so I would not call it a full node, but uh, yeah, the, um, there are different reasons why uh, I've been looking at U3XO. Um <clears throat> It's not clear yet. I mean, we are we are experimenting, so it's not clear yet whether we will uh, make it part of the Electron protocol or not. Uh, the that's that's really um, an experiment, an ongoing experiment. Um, so, is there anything else that you guys wanted to touch on in terms of things you've got coming up with Electrum? What should users be looking out for? Well. I think at the moment we are we are focused on bug fixes, bug fixes. Yeah, bug fixes. we don't. I think we we've been add, adding a lot of new features. Now is the time for fixing bugs and consolidating code and also improving the the GUI because uh, the user experience. We get feedback on the user experience. I mean, when you add a new feature, uh, the the first iteration of the GUI that you make for that feature uh, is obviously not the best. So you you learn also from uh, user feedback. Yeah, so for example, I've seen on, on, on the subreddit actually for Electrum that uh, it's been a recurring question since uh, version 4 that, uh, I mean, the receive tab changed and, and users can't find the receiving address because previously when you, go to, when you went to the receive tab, you were given a Bitcoin address. I mean, right away it was shown by default and now you actually have to press a button to, to generate a new one, uh, which was... Uh, I mean, it was an attempt to to unify the the on chain and the lightning uh, experiments, but also also to to reduce address reuse uh, such that you would actually have to to manually create a new address. Well, I mean, an invoice and and be given an address to to use for a new payment. But uh, so I mean, these kind of things will maybe have to be made uh, easier to to use. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things to be done. Uh, for example, um, I think we would need more tests. Um, I mean, like unit tests and um, functional tests for for the lightning parts uh, mostly. I mean, we already have quite a few, but uh, to be honest, I mean, we would still need more to to have better sleep at night <laughs> and. Um, yeah, um, there are new features to implement in the medium term too. Um, for example, I would like to look into pay join, let's say, but I'm uh, not sure when I will get to that. Yeah, sorry, there will also be uh, changes uh, to the Lightning protocol itself. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, we have to keep up with the board. And maybe at some point we will also want to have Taproot if any listener is interested to contribute, where would you where would contributions be most Ooh. needed? Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, if you want to contribute, you should you should come to the IRC channel on Freenode. Uh, it's uh, hash Electrum, um, and also, I mean, obviously, find the repository on GitHub, and then, well, I mean, a good place to start, I think, is just to to look at some open issues and also pull requests uh, and. Um, I guess maybe also to to look at recent commits to see what we are working on, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think you you should ask on on IRC. You should you should say if you have some time and what you might be interested in to work on, and uh, we might be able to. Well, we we would probably be able to help you, or or might be able to give you ideas. Uh, but regarding ideas now, what? People well, I'm very I'm very happy with the approach uh, where people. Uh, propose a, a, a pull request for an issue that has been annoying them because that's actually the best, uh, let's say, uh, capital allocation uh, in terms of programming time. Uh, uh, people usually, they, they, they start contributing because they see an issue that we do not see. And that's, uh, that's very important, I think. That's also how you started to work on Electrum. I mean, you were uh, ghosted. You you were you were fixing issues that yeah. were that were annoying yeah, you. Exactly and right. that's most of mo most of the time the case when we receive yeah. a pull request is is something that is not so important for us, but uh, it's important for someone. So they they uh, propose to to fix it, and that's very good because it increases the the number of of uh, viewpoints on the software. Yeah, but even if someone wanted to implement a completely new feature, I mean. They, they can go for it. I mean, I, I just mentioned PageOin, for example. If if someone said that they would be interested in implementing PageOin for Electrum, then then great. We would give all the help and, and uh, could talk about, discuss the possible approaches and then what modifications would be needed for the code. And then they could go on and maybe maybe not even do the whole thing, but just some... Yeah, just some prototype that sort of works and then we could yeah, yeah, we it talked up or about whatever. page on earlier because it seems like a kind of easy to do now thinking about bitcoin more broadly you know do you guys have any thoughts on what's going to happen over the next year or two are, are there any things that you're really interested to see in terms of bitcoin the protocol or any other developments in and around bitcoin and lightning well i hope the taproot yeah, software happens uh <laughs> I don't know, realistically, in like a year or two. And then I hope that uh, the, the Lightning Network uh, with the bolts can can start using uh, Shore signatures and also um, tap script for, for some of the on-chain scripts. Um, like, um, I mean, with Shnore signatures, uh, replacing the hash pre-images with, with uh, point multiplication and stuff like that. I mean, that that's very exciting, I think. And I think it could realistically happen, but uh, I mean, the prerequisite is having Taproot. One thing I would really like to have is a, a much better way to find a, a path in the Lightning Network. Uh, currently, we need to have the whole database locally. Um, so there is this uh, uh, trampoline proposal um, I don't know if someone will come up with a, 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 an even better solution. For the moment, it seems to be the, the, the best uh, solution uh, that has been proposed. So I hope that uh, that something will emerge, or at least that the trampoline uh, solution will be uh, adopted. Because uh, it makes, uh, I mean, if you don't have to run the, the Lightning uh, database locally and the gossip, it makes your client... Uh, much lighter. Yes, I think in terms of user experience, after we fix uh, some some GUA issues, uh, when you use Electrum with Lightning, the, the main issue at the moment would be 
all this pathfinding and, and gossip stuff because, uh, I mean, if you use Electrum as it's intended to be used as a light client that you just uh, fire it up when you need it, uh, need it for, for a few minutes or whatever, then it's it's really problematic to, to sync up all the lightning gossip. Um, and, and without that, pathfinding doesn't really work that well and you will have a lot of failed payment attempts. And then the whole thing cascades because, I mean, this is like one of the main reasons Watchtowers, for example, doesn't really scale at the moment that, um, I mean, you have to make like 20 payment attempts to, to have a, a somewhat larger payment succeed or maybe even more. And then that needs 20 times the storage, let's say. So yeah, everything is related, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, some great reflections there. And I know uh, some of the discussion there was quite heated amongst some of the Lightning developers. I think the concern for some of them was that it would be a privacy concern because not enough people would run the trampoline node and then there would be too few people, uh, yeah, basically too few people running the node and too many people trying to be using the trampoline routing and so on. But I think that's a bit more of a technical debate <laughs> that we don't need to wade into. And I certainly, I don't have a position on that. I'm not uh, <laughs> that into the detail on it. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I guess the, the main point is not that we want to use trampoline. Uh, we, um, it's just, that's the most mature solution, I guess, which doesn't completely give up your privacy uh, in terms of uh, better pathfinding and routing. I mean, we would be content with with any other competing solution if there yeah, was. Yeah, maybe there will be one. Uh, we we don't know yet. I mean, I would say that at the moment, the, the trampoline is the the most reasonable uh, solution uh, in town. But uh, yeah, uh, maybe maybe someone will find uh, something even better. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah. If you guys had any closing thoughts for the listeners, mm, uh, well. Um, I don't know. Thank you for for uh, having uh, for giving us this opportunity to to talk about Electrum. Um, I think uh, we we really want to to uh, make Bitcoin easy. That's always has been the the, the motivation behind Electrum to to uh, to increase both uh, security, privacy, and ease of use. So uh, use Electrum and uh, do share feedback with us. That's uh, that's the best thing you can do to help. And and then of course if you're a programmer, please do uh, do help us uh, fix bugs, uh, propose pull requests. That's yep. uh, that's the thing. Yeah, that last part is also what I wanted to say. That uh, I mean, if you're already a user of Electrum or or become to be later or whatever, uh, then and also, if you are a programmer, um, then then please, well, first of all, report bugs and and have a look at existing bugs and and uh, maybe look at the code. And uh, if you have a bit of free time, maybe submit a pull request. I mean, that that's how open source works. That would be nice. Fantastic. So listeners, go and find the guys. Find electrum.org. Follow them at Electrum Wallet on Twitter. And obviously, it's a hashtag uh, Electrum on Freenode. Uh, thank you guys for joining me on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Stefan. Remember to share the show with your friends and find me at stefanlevera.com. That's it for me. See you guys in the Citadels. 